Blog Talk Radio. Ray and Tay today. Yes, Sports Radio's on, talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on from the NFL to the NBA. MLB and college hoops do it all day. College football, we know who's number one. Understand, on the phones, you know we get it done. So call in 718-664-9098, and we'll give you more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray Tall Rayside. And I'm Tay, Eric Taylor, and we are hyped up this Friday in March to give you some sports. Let's talk about it. 718-664-9098. Like always, rayandtaytoday.com. A lot of great interviews. We're Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, very social. Tonight, we've got a special guest for you Knicks and Bulls fans, NBA world champion, Trent Tucker, the man that changed the rules in the NBA forever. We'll talk about that. And, uh, you know, drafted by the Knicks should be a lot of fun. And we'll try to wrap it up with some NFL free agency talk. We're in day two. It's been wild. Obviously, March Madness is coming up. Monday, we will be all over the brackets. Ray, Trent Tucker, you got to like that. NBA is heating up. They get ready to do their playoff run as well. Yeah, their April madness is still in May and <laughs> June a little bit, right? It's still a month away. But, yes, basketball yeah. is definitely heating up. We've got a lot, a lot of NCAA March Madness to talk about. We'll start on Monday after the brackets come out. We'll give you Ray and Tay's picks. We'll update you every round, of course. Uh, Kansas goes down. We've yeah, got- we got the battle in Brooklyn. North Carolina is punishing inside play. Right, 21-16 over Duke. Meeks already has 10 points. That's Wow, you got to like that. Yeah, and they had some great performances from their bigs, and, you know, that's one thing Duke can't really contend. Nobody in the nation actually can contend with Carolina with their size. So if you can stretch them out, run them up and down, and hit your threes, then you got a chance. But if you let Carolina run that secondary break, get their big men involved, I mean, they, they go four deep on the front line, and these are all McDonald's All-Americans. These guys can play. How about go, go blue with, you know, after the near tragic stuff in the airplane skidding off, they uh, unify, win a game in their practice jerseys, and then upset Purdue today. That was awesome. They upset Purdue, and then they go – advance the semis next round against Trent Tucker's Minnesota Golden Gophers. So that should be a good game. And in fact, question to throw out there, what's happening with the seeding, right? Does Purdue, who was predicted as a four seed, do they slide down the line to five? Does Michigan move up? Some people had him at 10. Some people had him at, have him at nine. Are they, I think Michigan's going to be a seven be or a eight. Seven? Can seven they move eight. up? But how amazing is that, Ray, that no Big Ten teams will make it in the top four seeds? They'll probably be five and lower. They might get seven teams in, but they'll be a five seed or lower. That's fascinating. Wow. That's a And Maryland Northwestern tip-off tonight. That should be good. I think Kansas still will get a number one seed overall. I think um, the Pac-12 will lose out probably. So it will be Villanova, North Carolina, Kansas, Gonzaga probably, and then you'll have UCLA, Oregon, or the winner of UCLA and Arizona 
and Oregon be two seeds. So the Pac-12 will probably have two two seeds and a three. So it, it's it's the madness is, is beginning. Um, you know, listen, hey, Trent was a good college basketball player as well. So hopefully, you know, when we talk to him, we'll see what he thinks about the madness, I'm sure. But, um, you know, for Knicks fans, this is uh, nostalgia. You know, you and I, we were there when, when Trent first joined the team and, you know, watched him develop. And, you know, back then people didn't take that many threes, but he was a sharp shooter for us. Played mainly shooting guard, a little bit of small forward. And, you know, he was with our favorite guy, Bernard King, for a while, you know. Sure. And not only was with Bernard King, but he, there were some characters on that team. We got to talk to Trent about that. They spent most of his oh, career. Michael Ray Richardson. He played with him oh, for a right. second, I think. Yeah. Ray Williams. Yeah, Truck Robinson, Marvin Webster, Bill Cartwright. I mean, these are guys that we grew up, Lewis Orr. I mean, these are guys that maybe if you're not a Knicks fan, you didn't know them except for Bernard King. And then, yeah. then what happened was there was a changing of the guard, right? Bernard King blows out his knee. He has a two-year rehab for an ACL. Nowadays, you know, Adrian Peterson rehabs his ACL in six months, seven months. Uh. Bernard King took two years but he rehabbed and he just missed playing with Patrick Ewing. So that as a Nick fan has got to kill you. The two most favorite Nick players potentially of, you know, of all time, certainly if you were a fan in the eighties and nineties, Bernard King and Patrick Ewing never played a game together. Bernard King back for the last six games of that season, Patrick's rookie so season. Fun, and yeah. his second season, I guess. And, and they shut Ewing down. Because Ewing yep. only played 50 games that season, I believe. And then he so, goes to the Washington Bullets, which uh, – Still makes an all-star team. Makes and when he came back teams. to the Garden for the first game, I was in the building. I wasn't in my seats courtside. I paid up top, and I went, and I saw it, and I was – oh, my goodness. That was, uh, that was something, man. Bernard King is – you know, that, he's a special player in, in, in a Knicks fan's heart. And just what the Knicks went through. And, you know, it's hard to watch the Knicks now. I wonder, you know, obviously Trent Tucker won his championship with the Bulls, but he's a Nick. And I wonder for him if it's hard to see, you know, what's going on now at MSG. Um, I was pretty disgusted to say this, to see today Phil Jackson, I guess, at practice running triangle drills with the guards. And I'm like, oh, really? In March you're doing this? You know, like, I'm, I don't know. Come on, man. <laughs> I can't. I, I wonder can't. what Jeff Hornacek thinks about that, right? That's not his offense. That's not what he grew up playing. That's not what he played in, in his career, you know, Utah, Philly. I don't know. I just want the Knicks to get a decent lottery pick, pick up another Chris Stapps, Porzingis-type talent that we can build around. We just need an influx of young talent and start to build for the next few years because right now this team can't compete. And you got to figure there are going to be major roster changes. I mean, Noah's there for another few years, but he may never be the Noah that we knew in Chicago. So even though his heart's in the right place, don't know if uh, uh, Yannick, Noah's son. We're stuck. <laughs> well, they're kind of stuck, stuck with him. Yeah. Yep, we are. Uh, Derek Rose probably won't be back. Carmelo may not play out the rest of his contract just because I just think that that there's so much frustration on both sides. 
So there are going to be major roster changes coming up for the Knicks. So I'd like I'd like to see Jason Tatum from Duke in the Knicks uniform. Oof. Well, you know what would that have would to happen. We'd have to have some Patrick Ewing, uh, quote unquote, luck to get that. Uh, I think we need a cold balls. envelope this year, Ray. How about a cold get a envelope? A couple of those balls to fall in our favor. <laughs> but yeah, Jason Tatum will be gone top three or four. So if not number one, so you got to say. Speaking of which, Markel falls from Washington declared today. Some people have yeah. him going number one. Yeah, you got to figure Jason Tatum will be right there. You got to figure Lonzo Ball will be right there. I think he got Pac-12 Player of the Year, right, over uh, Ball, and he averaged 23 a game. Ball and Brooks, yeah, he got uh, not only 23 a game, but I think it's six assists, six rebounds. I mean, it's this guy is definitely filling up. Oh, he's the truth. Six four. He's the truth. Do you feel like he's a pure point though? I, you know, in the pros, I feel like. There are some pure point guards, but look at Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he's taking the league right. by storm at 5'9". Oh, and you like after, after I predicted on our last show that they'd go to Eastern Conference Finals and Isaiah Thomas would be leading the way, then he went out and beat the Golden State Warriors. You like that. That was a nice game and a, and a very good win for the Celtics over the Warriors the other night. I was loving yeah, it. Yeah, and, and not only that, but – the good thing about Warriors, if you're a Warriors fan, is that they're never out of it. They can always shoot themselves back in the game, and usually they out-execute you in the fourth quarter. But Boston absolutely shut them down in the fourth quarter of that game. So, so good for Boston for being the fourth quarter team, being the team that clinched and basically secured the win about 10 minutes to go in the game. You, you, you sort of said to yourself, wait a minute. Boston's taking control of this game and they're going to win because you always think one way or another the Warriors are going to shoot themselves back into the game. Maybe uh, the Washington kid, Markel Furs, is, is similar to a Derrick Rose, Westbrook type. He's got the size of 6'4". He's a big kid. Yeah, but wow, those guys are mega athletes. You know, Derrick Rose and Russell Westbrook may be two of the best athletes ever, uh, certainly at the guard position. Yeah. You think well, about 23 it, a game, be- he's got some explosiveness. I don't, you know, he's not, you know, I mean, I don't know. He's the only one. I mean, Lonzo Ball, I think, is amazing, and he's 6'6 at the point, but he's more like a kid. He's not a, a supreme athlete. He's just so versatile. His court vision is sick, though, Ray, and that guy, like, he, to me, he's Jason Kidd all over again. I mean, he's skinny. Right. Jason Kidd's a little bit thicker. But Jason Kidd was exactly that type of player coming out of Cal. The only difference is that in this UCLA offense, Lonzo Ball has much more freedom. I feel like just like Kevin Johnson coming out of Cal, they were caged up. They were like lions trying to get out of the cage and do their thing, and they were caged up a little bit. But now, you know, obviously when they get to the pros, they, they get to open it up. But Lonzo Ball, UCLA is leading the nation in scoring. So they go up and down, right. up and down. But he doesn't day. shoot. He doesn't shoot, you know, too much. He's, he's so much he a distributor. Doesn't. Yeah. But you know what's interesting? He's got this awful form when he shoots, but he's something no. like a 43% shooter from three. So despite <laughs> his horrible form, it's he's not making pure, shots. Yeah. It's not pure. So, you know, uh, 
Do you have to reach out to, to Mr. Yeah, Tucker? Yeah, reaching or? out. Okay. So maybe we should touch a little bit on sort of what's been happening since we left in free agency starting in football. It Day one, $1 billion was dished out to players, and it almost seemed like it was a, a slow free agency. But, you know, it kind of started off with Brandon Marshall, you know, going to the Giants. And then it, you know, totally blew up with Brock Osweiler getting traded from the Texans to the Browns, basically for a second round pick and them not even having him at the press conference today, Brock might just be released or try to retrade him. And the Texans are able to get that 16 million off their salary to free up money to potentially go get a Romo. But the Cowboys said they were going to release him and then they didn't. So now you got like a Texas Hold'em, a poker match between the Texans and the Cowboys. Uh, everybody's like, free Romo. What, what do you think? Is uh, Tony going to retire, go to the Texans, Cowboys, Broncos? Or, or I'm hearing rumors the Jaguars might uh, want to throw their hat in the ring. From Tony Romo's perspective, A, I want to win a championship, number one. B, I want an offensive line. And B, you know, secondary <laughs> – just as much as an offensive line, I want a running game. I need to protect myself physically. So to me, Romo needs to go to one of those teams that has all of that. Now, the Broncos' offensive line may not be great, but they sure, has a, they sure have a defense. They have a running back by committee. If you believe in Booker, then the Broncos are quite an interesting proposition. Kansas City looks like they're going to stick with Alex Smith. I think he should go to Kansas City. Uh, Houston is interesting they got a competitive team despite having not much of the oh they have the position. best defense they have the best well, number one the is jj watts coming back now they just lost uh aj Bouwe. he went to the uh their one of their good corners to the jaguars simon goes to the Colts, their linebacker and they lost a third defender and then you might have the big guy in the middle retire waiting for wolfork if he's gonna come back or not so they did lose some guys in free agency, but I think overall, if they can get Romo, then they might be able to sign a player or two in the back end and then the draft. And I think the Texans will be, you know, with Hopkins and Miller, you know, they, they've got a, a good Dwayne Brown's got to get healthy at the left tackle, but they've got a pretty solid team that we remember had Brady on his back in the playoffs, but Brock Osweiler couldn't do anything in New England this season. So the Texans, they, you know, they've got, they've got the skill. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, now the free agency is only two days old, but there's been so much action. What do you think your top two or three free agent moves that either you like or you hate? Um, I'll give you teams. I'll say Patriots, Jaguars, and, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the Niners. The, the Patriots trading for Dwayne Allen then trading for Coney Ely and then signing Stefan Gilmore. That's pretty impressive. They probably will still bring back Dante Howard. They might move on from LeGarrette Blunt, but I think Bill Belichick is a genius and he could still trade Butler uh, for Brandon Cooks. So we'll see from the, the Saints if that plays out. The Jaguars, you know, when you go ahead and, and get trade for uh, Julius Thomas for Brandon Albert, so you get an offensive lineman, then you go ahead and sign 
um, Calais Campbell to go with Malik Jackson on the defensive line. That's impressive. And then now you go sign A.J. Boomway to join Jalen Ramsey. Uh, the Jaguars defense, Tom Coughlin is over there with a, a great defense. Um, I would like one more lineman, and the offense is stellar. And I believe in the draft, they could draft O.J. Howard at tight end, maybe get a running back in the second round, maybe a Joe Mixon or, you know, something like that. So I think the Jaguars have potential to be, like we thought, a potential playoff team last year. It's about Blake Bortles, though, right? Is he going to stop throwing bad interceptions? And maybe he does if he has offensive line help. So we'll see. Well, um, and well, you know me, I was never a Blake Bortles, a huge Blake Bortles fan, but he certainly got more weapons. Now, speaking of weapons, though, tell me what you think about the Eagles going out and giving Carson Wentz the new well, hot quarterback on the block. You, give, you know, Torrey Smith and Alshon Jeffrey. It's amazing that Alshon Jeffrey – like Terrell Pryor, one year betting on himself. Uh, Alshon, one year, $14 million. Um, I'm sure he's going to re-sign with them because him and Carson Wentz are going to connect lovely. And then the Redskins, who, you know, are making a mess. They fired their GM today. They, you know, got Cousins to sign a tag, and then they go ahead and, you know, get Terrell Pryor after losing to Sean Jackson to Tampa and Pierre Garçon to the Niners. And I thought the Niners did well. They're signing players that won't be there in three or four years, but they're making themselves somewhat competitive now and probably going to set themselves up to make a play for Cousins either before this season or after this season. So we'll see. But getting Hoyer and, and Marquise Goodwin and Garcon and you know some of the other linemen and players, I, I thought the Niners did pretty good. So let me ask you this. Did you like some of the moves from the Giants and the Packers with Bennett? What do you think about Marshall to the Giants and Bennett to the Packers? Loved both of those moves. I was surprised at how cheap Brandon Marshall was. Given his two years playing in that same stadium, given his two years of tremendous productivity with Fitzpatrick and the Jets, I was surprised that the Giants could get him for so cheap. But I think it's great. He's kind of that hybrid, you know, I don't want to say he's a tight end, but he's that big receiver that can get you first downs so you can't focus all of your attention on Odell Beckham. Then they have the other two, Shepard, and they had Cruz this year. So those are all little guys, right? Very talented set of receivers, but little guys. So now finally you get that big receiver. So – Love it. Love it for, for, for Peyton Manning. I mean, for Eli Manning, sorry, extends his career even more. Great pickup. And obviously for the Packers, you know, the Packers have always had decent pass-catching tight ends, you know, from the, the, the Mark Chamoras of the world. Even last year they had Cook. Um, so they bring in Martellus Bennett, too expensive for the Patriots. Like you said, we talked about this off-air a lot. Belichick's a genius. Didn't want to pay him too much. Gronk may or may not come back healthy uh, after yet another surgery, but the Packers needed a playmaker, and Martellus Bennett's their guy. And he's going to help Aaron Rodgers, who also could use a nice big target at tight end. Randall Cobb's a little guy. Jordy Nelson had a great second half of the season. So they now got to fix up that running game, but I love love it for Aaron Rodgers. He's smiling right now. I wish that they would go ahead and get Adrian Peterson. Maybe they wind up getting LeGarrette Blunt or just drafting a running back. But to me, if I'm the Packers, they still have money. I would get a veteran back. I wouldn't rely just on a rookie back. You can always draft somebody second or third round. But 
I would sign. I mean, look, Lagarde Blunt's 30, but remember, he didn't hardly play for like two years. So he doesn't have that much tread on the tires. He's a young 30. And this guy led the league in rushing touchdowns last year with the Patriots. So um, I think he's a good back. Charles is out there, Lacey, and Adrian Peterson, which maybe the Raiders might look at Adrian Peterson. And give the Broncos credit when you're talking about them with Romo. They signed um, O'Leary from the Cowboys, and they just got Metalock Watson from the Raiders. So John Elway is truly, whether he has Romo or not, he's fixing that offensive line to help Booker and maybe Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch. So that's really positive for what the Broncos are trying to do because they were pretty upset that they didn't make the playoffs last year. You know, Elway and the Bronco Nation, they're about excellence. So, you know, but to help Derek Carr, Ray, Adrian Peterson, wow. That would be a match. You know, here's the thing. You either believe that Adrian Peterson can play, which I do, or you don't. So if Adrian Peterson can still be 85, 90% of the old Adrian Peterson, he's a wow on any team, right? If he goes to the Packers, if he goes to the uh, Seahawks, if he goes to the, you know, Raiders, if he goes to the Giants, wherever he goes. Now, if you're on the other side and you think Adrian Peterson can't play three downs anymore, you can't give him the ball 20, 25 times, which I don't believe, then you think, all right, he's just another guy that's over the hill, you know, past his, past his prime. If you look at Adrian Peterson's career, it sounds kind of silly, but Adrian Peterson plays hurt, plays banged up. He's always available except when he has those catastrophic injuries, right, when he blows out his ACL, when he tears his MCL. So if Adrian is, can stand and isn't in a walking boot, I still think he's got – maybe two good seasons left at that maybe not super elite runner, but, you know, much better than average, borderline all pro. So I'm looking forward to see where Adrian goes, and I hope he gets to compete for a championship because I don't want him to go down as like a Barry Sanders type that didn't have much success in the playoffs, tremendous success in the regular season, not much playoff success. So I want to see Adrian go to a playoff contender. Totally agree. The question is really for some of us uh, in New York with the, the, the green gang green, do the Jets go ahead and try to draft Watson or Trubinsky and just develop a young guy and roll with him? Or do they sign a recently cut RG3, a recently cut Jay Cutler or Colin Kaepernick? For me, I'd rather go young and take a shot with Watson or Trubinsky than any of those three gentlemen. How do you look at that situation? What would you prefer? Because the Jets already look like they've lost a lot of talent. They look like they're already kind of in rebuilding mode anyway. I would say the Jets are in rebuilding mode. And you got to ask yourself, is Deshaun Watson or Mitch Stravinsky from North Carolina, are they guys you want to put a stake in the ground and try to develop, right? They don't think Bryce Petty's the answer. They don't think Hackenberg's the answer. They must see something in practice because obviously they didn't fail on the field. They didn't just didn't get enough. They just didn't get enough reps. I personally don't know that Watson or Trubinsky are going to be the the anchor franchise quarterback that that the Jets are looking for. So I wouldn't mind if they signed a veteran and just played the long game and 
just waited maybe next year or the year after, either in free agency or in the draft, to find that quarterback. Now, obviously, you're not going to give up, and you're going to draft quarterbacks and maybe develop them, right? Russell Wilson was a third-rounder. Tom Brady was a sixth-rounder. So it can happen. But I, I don't know that I would trade up and do these crazy moves for any of, any of the quarterbacks in this draft. If they fall to me, fine, we can look at it. But I don't think they just have a team where they're competing. Uh, you know, and the Bills and the, and, and the Dolphins, to me, are better. Obviously, the Patriots are better. So, so you're going to finish either third or fourth in your division, probably fourth. So right. start building for the long run. And I don't see a quarterback on the roster or on the horizon that I'm, I'm willing to say that's my Drew Brees. You know, that's my Aaron Rodgers. So I, I don't and mind next year you that. have two potential studs. Um, I always forget the guy, the quarterback from Washington and then also Sam Darnold from USC, and then the UCLA quarterback, Rosen. Rosen, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's potentially three guys, all from the Pac-12, that, you know, people are thinking that they could all be first-round legitimate starting quarterbacks, and all three of them have proven to be really, really good so far. So I, I don't see any reason why not to believe in them on the next level. Um but you run the risk, you know, the Jets might not have a top three or four pick to get one of those guys next year, you know, so then you have to make a move and make a trade. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you've got a chip with Shelvin Richardson. You don't want him. He doesn't really want to be there. Can you, can you tell Bill Parcells, give us Jimmy Garoppolo and we'll uh, give you Shelvin, you know? I mean, maybe. Bill Belichick, yeah. Yeah, Bill Belichick. And I don't think trading for A.J. McCarron is the answer. You believe in A.J. No, McCarron? No. I think he's a good college player, did great work at Alabama, but he's a solid you know, NFL backup. The problem with the Sheldon Richardson and, and these types of players that have problems with their team is that the other, the buyers, the other 31 teams try to take advantage of that. And they say, well, you know what? I'm going to pay a discount for this guy, right? He was a first-round pick for you, and because he might be giving you some problems, you want to get him off your hands, I'll give you a second round, a third rounder. You know what I mean? So, yeah, his play on the field, when he's right, he's a top, top defensive lineman, but I feel like teams out there try to take advantage. So I don't know what the Jets will get in return. That's the problem. You, tra- you trade a guy that's a star or, or a borderline star, and, and you almost never get back in return what he's worth. Definitely. Now, one thing that I would be critical of is the Cleveland Browns. Now, even though you got that second-round pick with Brock Osweiler, letting Terrell Pryor go for one year to the Redskins for $8 million, when you could have signed him and kept him probably long-term, when you developed him and now he's blossomed and potentially can get better, and you signed Kenny Britt from the Rams, who he's never – he had his best year with the Rams. He disappointed when he was in Tennessee – and to me, I just – it doesn't make any sense. You don't know if Josh Gordon is coming, so you don't really have any offensive talent in Cleveland except for Isaiah Crowell and maybe Gary Barnage. You've got a ton of picks and a ton of money, $102 million you started off with. That's why you could eat that $16 million, uh, you know, contract for one year with Brock. So to me, how do you not – how do you not even sign Alshon Jeffrey? Like the, there's certain moves that the Browns are not making Ray when they have, you know, so many holes 
that doesn't make sense. Now, hopefully they don't mess up the, the first round draft pick and just number one, don't get cute. You take the best pass rusher, Miles Jarrett. And then at number 12, if you like Watson or Trebrinsky, you want to take a quarterback, take it. If you want to trade it for a quarterback, do it. Or get the best, you know, tight end or receiver on the board. Mike Williams from Clemson, Corey Davis from Western Kentucky, o, you know, OJ Howard, something. But Cleveland, I just, you know, I, I look, they paid a guard, uh, Ziegler, the highest ever, $12 million, And they got a center. So they're building the line. They re-signed Joe Petonio, and they have Joe Thomas. So their line's going to be better. They've got four or five solid linemen now, uh, one pro bowler. So we'll see. But I don't let Terrell Pryor leave my building. I developed the talent, and he's only going to get better. So that, that was a disappointing to me, too. Yeah, if you're a Browns fan, I think the only thing going for you is that the Cavs won a championship, and they'll probably be back there, and the Indians almost won the World Series. So, <laughs> and they'll probably yeah, be back there this year with yeah, Edwin and Carcion. <laughs> yeah, Boston might have something to say about that, but yeah, you, you've yeah. got some uh, you got some issues if you're a Browns fan, and you look at the talent, you look at the the turnover, the roster turnover, the management turnover, and you almost want to say to yourself, "What's our identity? Who's the one guy?" It's hard in football with the you know 53 man roster, but who's our guy? Who's the guy that's going to be there for 10 years? You know, it was Joe Thomas for a while, and then it was, I mean, Hayden. And you, you kind of want somebody that you can say, you know, he's our guy. He's the epitome of the Cleveland Browns. And, and, and that's a guy that helps give us our identity. Uh, I don't know who that guy is, though. So, especially now, right, with, with all the roster turnovers, it usually starts with the quarterback or somebody on defense. Um, so I feel for the Browns fans, but like I said, luckily in Cleveland, it's not all about losing, right? The Cavs helped that city. The Indians helped that city. So let's hope some of that rubs off on, on the Cleveland Browns. Now, as a Steeler fan, I'm sure you don't need them. You don't need to be dealing with them too, uh, you know, with the Bengals and the <laughs> you know, well, Bengals the lost some talent, and the Ravens signed Woodhead, and they bring over uh, Tony Jefferson from the Cardinals to match up with Eric Weddle. So, and they gave uh, Brandon Williams the biggest contract for a nose tackle. So the Ravens, um, you know, if Woodhead can stay healthy, like we mentioned last show, talking about Christian McCaffrey, if Woodhead can stay healthy, you know, the Ravens, you got to believe, are going to get better. You know, Kenneth Dixon is suspended for four games at the beginning, um, and they probably still need some more wide receiver help, which I believe they'll probably get in the draft to help Flacco. But uh, that Ravens defense is, uh, you know, something to watch out for. And they just – it's a great winning organization. They know how to play. You know, like I know free agency, I think Marcus Wheaton might have left and Timmons left. But, you know, we pretty much, you know, kept all of our guys. And we don't really go and get free agents that much, kind of like the Packers. So I'm not that concerned because I know we draft well. And Martavis Bryant's coming back. So it's like we got a first-round pick with him coming back, you know, we know the Steelers have a stud number two wide receiver, Martavis Bryant. So I'm excited, you know, in that aspect. And um, I, I feel like the Bengals are going on a downswing. So I feel like I'm just competing with my Ravens. I don't know what Andy Dalton is. And I don't know if AJ Green has sufficient help. Eifert can't stay healthy. 
you know, the running backs, they just lost their best lineman to the Rams. So we'll see. It should, you know, that's going to be fascinating when you look at the different divisions and who's battling who. And I think the Steelers look like, you know, they're ready to go back and battle the Patriots again in the AFC, you know? Yeah. Don't forget about the Broncos, depending on their quarterback. Uh, oh, we might have our guest here. Have guest. Oh, hello. Yeah, is this true? Yeah, I, I had the wrong dialing number. Oh, no problem, no problem. We're happy to have you. So, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, I was calling, 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 and everybody was answering. And I just finally saw Mary MJ's uh, uh, text message that she had, she had mistaken giving me the wrong dial-in number. Oh, no uh, worries, no worries. We knew we knew you were a guy who wanted to talk to some Knicks fans, so so you wouldn't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome. So so Ray and Tay. So I'm I'm Ray Tall Ray, and I got my partner Tay Eric Taylor, and we're huge I huge Knicks fans. Uh, Tay's mom had Knicks tickets six rows behind the visitors bench for many many years. Oh. So we saw right. you got, we saw you play yeah. and, and and loved every minute of it. I saw every game you played, man, with the Knicks, pretty much. All right. All right. Love hey, it. Yeah, I, I would say thank I would say thanks for having me on the show. Oh, oh it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, so Trent, let's let's just jump right into it. So so talk to us. Let's roll the clock back to 1982. You're drafted number six overall out of Minnesota. You come to New York. You're a Knicks fan. You join a team with a bunch of characters. I remember them as, as, as characters anyway growing up. So Bernard King and Bill Cartwright and Chuck Robinson and, and, and your backcourt mate there, Rory Sparrow, Marvin Webster. What was it like as a rookie playing in the Garden and for the Knicks? Well, you know, New York City and Madison Square Garden, when you talk about the mecca of basketball, you know, it gets no bigger than that. And, and to be a rookie, to have a chance, you know, you know, to play you know, in a city like New York City was an honor and a treat in itself. And, and to play with some of the guys that, that you talked about, you know, the Bernard Kings and the Truck Robinson and, and the Bill Cartwright, you know, those guys, you know, they taught me what it, what it meant to be a professional. And when you come into the league as a rookie, you're looking for mentors and leaders. And, and I was lucky enough to have those type of guys on my team that could show me how to do things the right way. That's awesome. So, so you, you joined that team in 82, and then in 83, you had this crazy series with the, the, uh, sorry, the Pistons when Isaiah and Bernard went at it, and then you, you advance in that round, and then you lose 4-3 to three to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference semis where Bernard King and, and uh, Larry Bird were going back at it. I remember MVP in, in Madison Square Garden and up in the Boston Garden, they were saying MVP, MVP. What was your recollection of that? So early playoff success, how exciting was that to be a young player playing in the, you know, going to the Eastern Conference semis? Well, it was, it was, it was great, you know, because, you know, that year we played the Boston Celtics 13 times and, and they beat us seven and six. And by then winning the Game seven in the Eastern Conference semifinal on their home floor, and you know to be a part of something of that nature, you know, was was fascinating because you, know, you grow up as a kid and you're always hoping and dreaming that one day that you could play in the seventh game in the Boston Garden against the Boston Celtics. <laughs> wow! So Trent, let me ask you this: as things started to change and you guys, you know, advanced in the playoffs for a couple years. And then Bernard got hurt, and we sort of had the changing of the guard with Patrick Ewing coming in. I know a lot of Knicks fans feel to this day, including us, that if 
with you and, and the team that they had, if Bernard, Bernard and Patrick played together, that we might have got a championship in New York. What was that feeling like, you know, seeing you guys, you know, kind of rise up and then sort of that transition period, but they never got to play together. Did you feel as if you guys could have won it all if they played together? Well, you know, the one thing I think people have to realize that if Bernard King does not get hurt or if Chuck Robinson or Bill Cartwright does not go down after the 83 season, we were good enough where the Knicks would not have gotten an overall number one pick. That's a fair right. no, point, yeah. You know, by losing all those guys, you know, we didn't have enough to compete in the Eastern Conference against teams like the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers. So we had to hit rock bottom during that stage to be in a position to get someone like a Patrick Ewing because in my second year in the league, you know, we go to the Eastern Semis and we're losing seven games to the Boston Celtics. We were thinking, you know, coming into that next season, we would be right there to contend, for, you know, for an Eastern Conference championship with the hopes of playing for an NBA title. But when you lose guys of that caliber, they are so hard to replace, and it was tough for us to contend that year in the Eastern Conference. But that led us down the road to get someone like Patrick Curry. So I'm going to take you back to a special day that you became just super legend and NBA history forever. January 15, 1990, MLK Day, tradition in the garden, you know, the Knicks play on Martin Luther King Day. Ray and Tay were in the building. I was in my seats behind the <laughs> bench. And just so you know, I used to give – you know, um, Bootsy, Bootsy used to give me the uh, stats at halftime, and I knew Cal Ramsey and everybody, and we would talk to Dave Sims and Peter Vesey, Dave and we've, Sims, had Dave, sure. we've had Dave yep. and Peter both on the show. So that's been just amazing for us, right? And we're sitting there, and I was just like, I knew in my heart they were going to give it to you and you were going to hit it. It was .01. You hit it, and then everybody was complaining and realizing this and that. What did you think about the after effects? Obviously, the, give us about the moment and what they called in the huddle, but the after effects that it just wasn't physically possible for that, you know, to happen, that it, it is .03, and forever it will be the Trent Tucker rule. Give us your little thoughts got, on, on that game and that shot. And you got your well, own you Wikipedia know, page for the, for the shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the actual play was designed for us to throw a lob pass to the front of the rim for, for Patrick Ewing. And I was supposed to be a decoy to go from the left side to the right side to, you know, to hope to give Michael Jordan to follow me out as if the pass was coming to me. Right. You know, but him being a smart player that he was, he read the play. Right. So, wow. So, he took, so he, he took away the first option. And we really didn't have a second option because we knew we didn't have much time. And so I knew Mark Jackson was up against the five-second count. So I just went along the baseline and up the sideline, and I ran in front of him, and he gave me a little slip pass. I turned and shot the ball as quickly as I could. And and, uh, and, and that day it, it made history, and also the Knicks won the basketball game. And I know many people, you know, were saying there's no way that a, that a guy can get a shot off in a tenth of a second. You know, Phil Jackson was waving it off. And <laughs> I had to go, you know, a few weeks later, I had to go and sit and talk to Commissioner David Stern about the shot and, Wow. And he said, Trent, you know, he said, Trent, you know that that shot should not have counted, and there is no way a guy can get off a shot in a tenth of a second. 
And I said, Mr. Commissioner, I beg to differ. He said, well, I said, <laughs> because the reason you and I are having this conversation today is because you saw a man make a shot in the chest a second. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, Trent, let me ask you something. So, so you mentioned MJ, right? So you, you leave the yeah. Knicks, you play that one season in San Antonio, and then you end your career with the Bulls. Now, you join a team that had already won two championships, so they knew what they were doing. Uh, right. You join, you help them win the third championship. You play with MJ. You also reunite with Daryl Walker and Bill Cartwright. So you had a right. mini Knicks team going on there. What was that <laughs> like? What was it like? At, the, at First of all, did you know it was going to be your final season? And then what was it like to win a championship in the NBA and, and in your final season after you've done all this work and put in all this time? Well, it, you know, it's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate goal, you know, to reach for any NBA player is, is to be on a team or in a situation where you're good enough to contend for a championship. And I'm going to a team, you know, almost as an adversary. I, I have been an adversary for them for so long, but I've been a New York Knicks, and now I had to earn their trust as, as a Chicago Bulls teammate, and they were willing to accept me in. But I knew I had a certain role to play, and they were expecting me to play a certain role, you know, at moments to step in and produce to see if I could help them win a championship. But when you play with someone who has that type of ability in a Michael Jordan on a nightly basis, you know that every game you go into, you have a chance to have a chance to win. And we knew it was going to be very tough to get to the Eastern Conference. Uh, The first and second round, we felt like that we were good enough, you know, to beat anyone in the first and second round. But we knew that if we were going to make a make a run toward another NBA championship in Chicago, we had to go to the New York Knicks, who were very, very tough that year and had the best record in the Eastern Conference. Wow. So, Trent, let's move to current day a little bit. Obviously, the game has changed. Now, you didn't shoot that many three-pointers, but you were a 40% right. three-point shooter. So when you wanted to take it and you needed to take it, you were knocking them down at a great percentage. And so I'm kind of curious, what do you think about the three-point shooters today, the evolution of it, you know, obviously what Curry's been doing, but now everybody's trying to do what Curry can do. But do you think guys like yourself, uh, even the Dale Ellis's, obviously Larry Bird, if you guys would have put up that many shots, like – you averaged eight points for your career. If you shot so many more three-pointers, do you think you would have been a 13 to 14-point scorer per game? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the game, well, the game was different when I played. You know, the three-point shot was, was not a valued shot. It's more you play inside to out. And, right. and now the three-point shot is, is a huge, huge plus in, in, in everybody's offense. And, you know, if the three-point shot was around like it is today when I played for sure – it would have been uh, a much added weapon, you know, to the game that I played. But, you know, you, you mentioned a few guys like Dale Ellis and a Craig Hodges and a Dale oh, Murray. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm just – I know I'm a Larry Bird. You know, there was so – Reggie Miller even at that time. There were so many good three-point shooters, you know, during that time, but the game was, was not killer for three-point shooters. It's a fun game for me to watch. Because when you're an outside shooter, there, there's no better shot in the game than seeing somebody knock down a long three-point shot. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> so, Trent, let me ask you something off the field, right? We met a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember at an event that uh, MJ, we want to thank MJ Padone at, at Indra PR for putting on. And, and I know you, you do a lot of work with the kids, and we talk a little bit 
about uh, about some of the philanthropic work that you do. But tell the audience about, you know, it sounds like you've got a, a streak in your heart for children, for, you know, education. So t- tell, and you've got your Tucker for Kids, you know, so, so tell people about your philanthropic activity, what you're planning to do, what you do these days, and, and how all of this comes about for you and the influence that you have on young, you know, young kids these days. You know, when I, when I was playing in New York, I had a great agent by the name of Urban, you know, who's passed on now. But you know, he was a, he was the first one that really, you know, got me into the, into the philanthropic mindset. And but I've always had a a soft spot for young people and, and making sure that you know, if I was ever lucky enough to be in a position to give back, because someone was there for me when I was a a young person growing up in Flint, Michigan. And you need the entire community to all come together, you know, to give our kids a chance today, you know, to get themselves prepared for the, for the 21st century. And, and I have, I've been lucky enough, you know, doing some of my fundraising, fundraising endeavors, you know, to have some of my former teammates, you know, come to some of my events to help raise funds, you know, to create those opportunities for the kids that we are, that we are trying to serve. And today, you know, my, my present job now, I am the, uh, the the district athletic director for the Minneapolis Public Schools. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and being a part of a public school system, a large system where you have a chance to impact impact kids on a, on a much larger basis, you know, has, has been a, a fun, a fun um, endeavor for me is because I have so many wonderful people you know, who worked within the public school system, you know, who, who was there, you know, not just for a paycheck, but, but they are there to give back, you know, and to help young people and, and to show them that through education, you know, their worlds can be different. And, and for me to be a part of a world like that, it's just a fun place to be. That's great. That's awesome. That's great. Hey, Trent, before we let you go, I just got to ask you a, a fun little thing. When you played obviously with Bernard King and then Patrick Ewing and then Michael Jordan. Is there any difference between that type of legend? I mean, we, everyone, you know, kind of likes to label and say, okay, Jordan's the best ever, but for you, obviously a great player in your own right, but what did you see in someone like a Bernard King, Patrick Ewing and Jordan? And were there any differences in their games that made them, you know, to the level that they were? You know, all three guys have uh, unique talents, and they're very different. You know, Bernard King was a, was a fantastic low post scorer on on that block. You know, he was he was one of the few guys that I saw that could score twelve points as quick as quicker than anybody I've ever saw it play basketball. You know, and Patrick Ewing, you know, with his athleticism as a big man, you know, couldn't find many guys who came into the league with that type of size and mobility that could do some of the things that Patrick Ewing could do. But, you know, when you, when you look at Michael Jordan, you, you, you're talking about to, to pretty much the, the ultimate athlete and a basketball player. You know, uh, having a chance to, to play with all three guys, like you mentioned, but having my last year play with Michael Jordan and just seeing the things that he could do in the last three, three or four minutes of a basketball game, how he could control the whole situation. And you knew time and time again, you know, when the game was on the line, you know, that he was going to, he was going to make, you know, make the big shot. So one day I was sitting around with some friends and some, some old colleagues, and we were talking about, you know, who are the best five guys you played with? And if, mm. and if you could put a five-man team together, 
could anyone else of the guys you were talking with, could they find five other guys to beat the team that I would put together? And if I look at the five guys I played with throughout my career, right. I could put Patrick Ewing at, Patrick Ewing at center, no, David, like Robinson, David Robinson at power forward. Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Bernard, Bernard King at small forward. Michael Jordan at the two guard. And Scotty Pippen at the point. Scotty wow. at the point. I was going to say, where are you putting Scotty? Okay. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a dangerous, a long team. team that could play in any era. <laughs> any right, era. And, you know, and you're right. You're talking about, uh, you know, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Bernard King. Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I, I said I don't know if if a whole lot of guys could find five other players to contend with the five guys that, that I could put on the floor at one time. Wow, that's that's fantastic. That's, that, that's you know what? That's something to think about. You know, and, and other than Bernard King, they were all exceptional on the defensive end too. Most people know them as offensive players, right? Bernard right. grabbed his yeah. rebounds and, and played his D, but the, the other four were just were just you know all time great defenders. But that's that's a tremendous team. Wow, we we got we got to sit on that. We got to marinate on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like that. 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 I like that's that one, Trent. <laughs> so Trent, it was it was such a pleasure talking to you. We we had so much fun talking to one of our favorite Knicks of all time. So, so oh, we yeah. want you to keep up the great work. We know you, you're friends with Carl Banks. Tell him, shout out to him because we loved him as you know at the same era oh, playing with the Giants. Giant. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah for know, sure. And, and, and I'm, I'm I'm a huge Giants fan. You know, Carl Banks and I grew up together in Flint, Michigan, and so I'm a still I'm a still huge Giants fan fan fan. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, that's awesome. Keep up the great work with the kids. And, and we Thank love you, Trent. You on the court, but you know what? We we respect you even more for what you're doing off the court. And really, you're a great role model for, you know, for up-and-coming athletes to say, look, after your career is over, you can still make a huge impact on society. So good for you. Really proud of you. Thanks. Hey, I, I, I appreciate it, and thanks a lot, and, and uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it was our pleasure. Thank you, Thank Trent. You so our much. pleasure. Have a great right, night. Have a good weekend. All right, All right you too. Right. Bye. Wow. wow. That's, That's fantastic. He, he left us with a jewel, Ray, and, you know, that's something that I think we'd have to ask every NBA guest that we have from now on, who would be the five that you played with, the best five ever? Because Trent – And can your people, five mess with his five, right? I don't know if you mess with Trent's five, Ray. Are, I like that. I really like that. Right? Woo! Wow, that's something wow. to talk about. Well, hey, great show. Great we show. love having NBA sharpshooter Trent Tucker. He's got his own Wikipedia page for the Trent Tucker rule. Good for him. So on Monday, <laughs> we'll be back yeah. talking yeah. March Madness, talking NBA, talking the NFL free agency. Have a great sports weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We are out. Peace. See ya.